reading tonight from Psalm, the 75th chapter, and I want to read verses 8 and 9. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, and all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Thank the Lord tonight. We come to you, Lord, humble. We come to you, Lord, ready to receive. I pray, God, tonight you will pour the word of God into our open hearts. It's spirits tonight in the name of Jesus. Let anointing come. Let deliverance come. Let victory come. Let the saints of the Lord say so. Let the saints of the Lord say so tonight. In Jesus' precious name, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. Greet some folks as you're being seated tonight. Welcome them to the house of God. Well, if you're looking around, I notice you noticed, at least in this building, you noticed a few things different. And I want to thank my Monday night crew. We had a good Monday night crew coming in and got the doors on. Then Tim came and did some sheetrocking yesterday. I did some taping today. And uh, painting was done and things were, things were being done. So it's looking pretty good. We've got most of the baseboard in the building done. Just some of the fellowship hall and the hallways to do yet. Things are coming together very, very fast. I. Uh, I went to Security Supply and ordered the toilets uh, this week, so they'll be coming soon. I called and ordered the petitions for the bathroom, so they'll be coming soon. Tomorrow we're going, or Friday, we're going to Curtis Lumber to order up all the counters and cabinets for the kitchen. This day's going to happen yeah. <laughs> before you know it. Amen. Amen. We're almost there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the cup in the hand of the Lord. There's a story that was told about an early Pentecostal pioneer, Dr. R.A. Torrey, who was one of the great Bible teachers of the past generation. He was a founder of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, the, B, the Biola University, founder of Biola University. And he and Mrs. Torrey went through a time of great heartache and suffering when their, when their 12-year-old daughter was accidentally killed. You're a parent of children, you can imagine the feeling. The funeral was held on a terrible day for a funeral. It was rainy, gloomy, dark. Thank you. They stood around the grave. They watched as that casket with the body of their little girl was lowered away. And as they turned to go, Mrs. Torrey said, I'm so glad Elizabeth is with the Lord and not in that box. But even knowing that to be true, their hearts, as you can imagine, were broken. Dr. Torrey said the next day as he was walking down the street, the whole thing broke anew, all those feelings, the loneliness of the years ahead without her presence, the heartbreak of going home 
to an empty room, empty house, empty bedroom, all the other implications that went along with her death, the loss of that child. He was so burdened by this, and he, he did what we would do. He looked to the Lord for help. He cried out uh, to the Lord for help, and he said, just then he said, this fountain, the, this Holy Spirit that I had in my heart broke forth with such power that I had never experienced it before. It was the most joyous moment that I had ever known in my life. Oh, how wonderful is the joy of the Holy Ghost. It is an unspeakable, glorious thing to have your joy, not in things about you, not even in your most dearly loved friends, but to have within you a fountain springing up, springing up, springing up, always springing up 365 days in every year, springing up in all circumstances unto everlasting life. Only the Christian, spirit-filled Christian that has encountered the presence of God and the deeply personal infilling of the Holy Spirit can really know what this means. For all other people, death is a terrible parting, a great sorrow and a great pain, a, 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 a hungry, thirsting pain that cannot be quenched with platitudes or feelings or reactions or thoughts or comforts of any type. But for those who have the Holy Ghost, we have something inside of us Amen, that comes to our rescue and our aid. Amen, when we most need it and perhaps least expect it to come. It is there to help us. This abiding presence and power of God is so real in our lives. Hallelujah. We have so very much to be thankful for. So often we go through our lives never utilizing, never realizing, never tapping out the true value of what that means. You must drink from a bitter cup before you can really experience the fountain beneath the cup. There's a fountain flowing beneath the suffering. Amen. Beneath the rock, there is a well that runs deep. There's water in that rock. Hallelujah. And you got to smite that rock sometimes. But that water is there and it's ready to come forth. Amen. We, we, we most need it. Most of you, some of you, I'm sure if you're English lit majors, you're very familiar with John Steinbeck, right? And his most powerful novel, The Grapes of Wrath. And in this book, published in 1939, it depicts the struggles of Many down and out of Americans who, between the years of 1929 and 1941, those 12 years known as the Great Depression, struggled to try to find a way in life. 25% of Americans were unemployed during many of those years of the Great Depression. We're losing our Great Depression generation. My mother has gone to be with the Lord but her life was shaped, the values of her life, her, her thriftiness, her savingness, her using things and using them and reusing them were shaped out of those years of the Great Depression. 
in the last years of my mom's life. In fact, when she passed and we went through her things and began to clean them out, my wife found a bunch of dish rags that my mother had patched holes in the dish rags. <laughs> Can you imagine a dish rag full of holes that had been patched in with other material and sewed in? You millennials would have retired that dish rag long before a hole got in it, just if it stank a little bit or was stained a little bit, you would have retired it to the file 13, but my mom was a depression child. She knew what it meant to collect bottles on the side of the road and turn them in for money. She knew what it meant to, uh, to darn socks. She'd take a light bulb and push it into the sock, into the heel of the sock, and would sew it together you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? I'm teaching you something that you never even considered. If you get a hole in the sock, you just throw it away and go buy a new package. We're losing our depression, Great Depression generation, and all the values and things that life taught them. But this was the story. This was the struggle. And here, the family, the Joad family, loaded all of their possessions into their beat-up old Hudson, which they had converted into a truck, and uh, left the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma for the far-flung gold fields of California. Life is better in California, and so they joined the many hundreds of thousands of people, the Okies, as they were called, who streamed westward, ever westward, looking for a, a, a place in the sun, somewhere where they could make it and where they could survive. But it turned out all along the way, the story, all along the way, the breakdowns, the struggles, the difficulties. And when they get to this promised land, it's not such a promised land. And the opportunities that they had hoped for are long past and there are no jobs there and so forth and so on. And the story of the struggles, the protagonist, Tom Joad, uh, he gets into trouble, he breaks the law, he becomes an outlaw, he's in hiding in a cave out from the law and, and trying to live and to survive. And, and the whole story, the, throughout the story, this, the powerful themes of love and strength and unity and rebirth and survival give this whole depressing Great Depression story a, a tinge of redemption, a, a, a way of trying to thread the needle and find a way of hope. And, and for Steinbeck, it became a great theme, a great novel. And for uh, practical Americans and for people who want more than just a beautiful bow tied on the end of the story and have it all wrapped up, as we talked about Sunday, with this human desire uh, that I talked about on Sunday about having the story all neatly tied up. The reality of life is much different, isn't it? And the grapes of wrath come closer to the bone that life is full of struggle. It's full of difficulty. It's full of challenges. And, and there are many things that we have to go through that we would rather not go through. But how we go through them, how we deal with them, and how we come out of them, amen, that's the real story of the power of God in our lives. Hallelujah. Life is what it is. Who among us doesn't have challenges dark as night? There's going to be spaces and places in each life where you think you cannot bear anymore. You cannot take anymore. 
It's just too much. But if you think you're all alone, if you think no one understands and that God, and where's God in all this? Doesn't he know what's happening to me? Doesn't he care about what's happening to me? If you think that, well, you're in good company. There are many people who think that. But if you do think that, you're wrong. You're wrong. Those things, as difficult as they are, teach us something. They teach us something. To quote Benjamin Franklin, those things that hurt, instruct. That's where discipline comes in. You don't want to have to discipline that child, and sometimes you have to you resort to the kind of discipline you really don't want to do. Corporal punishment. Because you know that they're not going to learn if they didn't if they don't hurt. They're not going to learn that thing. Discipline's a funny thing. My cat, Marty Cat. He's shy. He's not social. But he's a quick learner. And a couple weeks ago, I got a new vacuum cleaner. I got one of these sharks, you know, and it has it's beautiful. It has a wand on it, you know, so you can get into corners and everything. Really easy. Detach the head, and you got that wand, you just go around, it's great. Well, I thought, you know, every day I got to do the litter box, and, and that's one of the traditions. Marley knows. He's, he's got it all figured out. He knows there's two things I got to do after I feed him breakfast. First thing in the morning, he's waiting at the door, and I open the door of the basement door. He's right there, and he wants to lead me to the dish. And then I'm having my breakfast, and he's coming around bugging me some more, and he wants to take me back downstairs, and there's two things he wants to do. Change the bucket in the humidifier. We've got to go change the bucket in the humidifier. He'll lead me right to it. And if it ain't running, and I'll change the bucket and put the empty bucket in there, and this machine goes on, and he starts humming and purring and laying down. He says, oh, we did it, Daddy. And the next thing is i got to do the litter box. So, and so for, for months and months and a year, a year or so, hey, man, it was all fine doing the litter box. But I got this new vacuum cleaner. So... Instead of sweeping up the litter around the box like by hand on my hands and knees like I do every day, I decided I'm going to just fast with a vacuum cleaner. Two days, two days of the vacuum cleaner, and Marley has had enough. And he used to help me, you know, he used to help me do the litter box. He'd be right over there, he'd be at the bags, you know, and I'm doing all the bags, and he'd be in the other bag playing in it, and he'd be helping me. But two days of the vacuum cleaner, and he don't like that vacuum cleaner. And he goes, and he goes straight to his hole. And so ever since that time, when I get down to do the litter box, wherever he is in the basement, when he sees me get down to do that litter box, he heads for that hole. And we won't see him for hours. <laughs> Amen. I said that all to say there's, there's learning in pain. There's learning there's in suffering. There's learning, there's pain. And I'm trying to unlearn him that. I stopped using the vacuum cleaner once I noticed this pattern. I stopped using the vacuum cleaner. And I'll talk to him and I'll coax him and I'll persuade him and I'll offer him treats. But he's, nope, he's going for the hole. Uh, you see, <clears throat> we learn things through suffering. Amen. It's a discipline thing. <clears throat> God's anger and judgment are often portrayed as wine, a cup of wine of wrath. We read in Revelation 14 and 10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. 
This is spoken of those who have taken the mark of the beast. They're going to drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And in Revelation 16 and 19, speaking of God's judgment on the great Babylon, it says, Great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And in Revelation 19 and 15, has Jesus ruling the world with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. So we see this in Psalm 75 and 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it is full of mixture, and he poureth out the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink of them. Now, <clears throat> there is a difference between wrath and suffering. There's a difference. I believe that this cup in God's hand can be either. It can be a cup of wrath, and it can also be a cup of suffering. And suffering, though we don't like it and don't want it, it does have a place in our life. It is an event that tempers us. It's designed to test and to purify and to improve our spiritual self, our inner life, our spiritual quality. We don't like it, but it's necessary. We know the Bible tells us that gold and silver are purified by fire, but wheat and chaff, wood and chaff, are burned up by fire. And we have within us all of these qualities. The basic part of us, from childhood on up, the human developed part, the part that works in this world and works with other situations and deals with other people, a lot of that is chaff. Our temperament, our emotions, our energies, our drives, the things we do, a lot of that is chaff, and it's wood. It's destructible. It's temporary because this body is temporal. But within each one of us also is a deposit of something of greater value. The silver and the gold, amen, that must be purified by fire, has to be put in intense heat, amen, because these, in the natural world, silver and gold are things called ore, just as like iron comes from iron ore. You think of iron ore, you've got a, a bit of an idea what, what that is. It's a rock that's got iron in it. And iron ore and silver and gold ore also are found in rocks. And these rocks have to be subjected to intense heat of thousands of degrees Fahrenheit in order to melt the ore out. It has to be melted out. And then, and then it's not only melted out and collected, but it has to be continuously heated 
And the impurities, the other impurities, the dregs, as it were, of silver and gold must rise to the top and be scraped off or sifted off or filtered off in order to finally get something that is pure. And there are degrees of purity to silver and gold. Uh, there's a difference between 14 carat and 18 carat and 22 carat, isn't there, in gold. And also in diamonds, there are degrees in quality of, of value in diamonds depending <coughs> upon the process under which it went. And if it was greatly purified by heat and pressure, its quality is pristine and original and exactly the way that you want it to be. The point is here that these things that are precious, that we consider valuable, only come through the process of suffering. The potential for their value was always there, but they have little value if they stay in their raw form. Just as we, if we are left in life unchallenged, if, if we do not face challenges and deal with challenges and have suffering that tempers us and purifies us and brings something better out of us, amen, we only have potential value, but the real value comes, amen, by what? happens and how we deal with it. In the first message I spoke, this is the third of that four message series I was talking to you about. Last Wednesday night, the first message I spoke about becoming broken before the Lord and the processes that bring that about to be, to be beaten, to be bruised, and to be broken. We talked about that. And so in this message, we return to that last part in thought for a little bit, the process by which the breaking and the suffering brings about something good in our life. In the second message I preached on Sunday, the weights and measurements of God, we talked about the justice of God and not our miscalculation of justice, not our false idea of justice, but what real justice is, what what God really sees that is above and beyond what we can see. And uh, God's trying to get us to step out of our self-thinking so that we can begin to understand and appreciate life as he sees it. And, and, and the point that I want to make about this last one has its deepest effect in what we become afterwards in our relationships with other people. There are two words that describe feeling compassion for other people. Sympathy, right? Sympathy. When something terrible happens, we feel sympathy for them. I watched the State of the Union speech last night and I saw some things that brought tears to my eyes. When I saw those two couples whose daughters had been killed by the MS-13 gang members on Long Island, the mothers and fathers there in the audience, you could see the tears in their eyes. You could see the brokenness in their hearts. You 
you could, if, if you've ever suffered anything at all, it would bring out at the very minimal sympathy in your heart for their suffering. And then to see Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Warmbier, the parents of Otto Warmbier, who had been beaten and horribly treated in North Korea and returned to the United States this past year to die within days of having been returned to his parents, that college student, to see the mother and father there in the audience and their attention was brought to their case and they're, they're crying and they're weeping and you see that in their face and their eyes. Those were moments that brought tears to your eyes and, and brought a twinge of something to your heart. And the best that I could feel for those people was sympathy. The pain was real, it was palpable. You could see it in their face. But only another parent who suffered the loss of a child under similar circumstances would be able to understand that second word that deals with human compassion, empathy. To feel sympathy is to feel sorry for someone else. But to, be, to, be, to have empathy is to feel what they are feeling. To feel what they are feeling. There is a cup of suffering. The value of which produces life-giving life-affirming empathy for the suffering of other people. It is that cup that we drink of that allows us to be first responders and ministers of grace and help and mercy in the time of need when other people suffer and go through things. And it is that by which God is able to extend his hand into this world of sin and shame and pain and suffering. When God can act as an agent, amen, through us because we get it, because we understand, because we've suffered, because we've been there, because we've dealt with it, because we know what it is like to go through it. And there is something that we're able to give and bring to this world that's impossible to do without knowing those feelings. Hallelujah. Suffering is what it takes to squeeze out the pulp and to leave the sweet juice. Somebody said, if life gives you a lemon, make lemonade. But you have to make that lemon suffer. <laughs> you gotta make that lemon suffer. You gotta squeeze it. You gotta grind it. You gotta filter it. You're gonna get something good out of it, but there isn't gonna be much left over of value. Suffering is what it takes to squeeze the pulp out. Leave the sweetness. We haven't gotten there as long as we are resisting suffering. God, you understand, I don't want to do this, God. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. 
And I'm fighting it, I'm fighting it, I'm fighting it. Most of us will resist and fight suffering every step of the way. We'll use every power at our disposal. We will, we will plead for the sympathy of others. We will seek our back being scratched by sympathetic folk, amen, uh, to, to somehow bomb and salve our suffering so that we can for a moment at least not feel it so much. Hallelujah. But it is only when we surrender to the suffering and the process of suffering that we reach that breaking point I spoke of a week ago. Amen. To, to, to break, you have to surrender to the process in order to break. You have to surrender. You have to give it up. You have to be beaten in order for the suffering to win. You have to be beaten. That goes hard against Americans with our strong, self-assertive, competitive, independent spirits and values. It's hard for us to accept defeat. We're so competitive. We're so trained to it. And we're so stinking independent because of the nature of our government and our country and our values, our history. But in order to get to the place where we can trust God, we have got to surrender to God. If you've ever taken a, a, an animal or a pet, dog, how many dog owners do we have in the house? You own a dog, you have to train that dog. That dog comes to you with independent mind and spirit. That dog's going to do what that dog wants to do. <laughs> you ain't trained it yet. <laughs> Amen. It, 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 it'll, it'll, it'll do what it wants to do, where it wants to do it, when it wants to do it. You've got to train that thing. And, and in the society of dogs, there is always something called the alpha dog, the alpha male, the lead dog. And when the, you bring a dog into the home, you're adapting him to your society, but he's bringing along his idea of society and socialization. And, uh, you know, he has to find out who the alpha male is in the family. And that is the one that will get control of that animal. The rest of them, he don't care. He'll do what he wants to do. But when the alpha male speaks, that dog listens. He had to be trained. But in order to train him, you've got to break him. You've got to break him. You've got to let him know who the boss is. Who is the boss here? You or me, dog? Who is the boss? You have to let him know who the boss is. When that dog is broken, he understands. He gets it. He stops resisting. He'll sit on command. He'll dance on command. He'll bark on command. He'll count on command. Whatever it is you've told him to do. Once he understands who the boss is, things are going to be okay. And that's the same way with us. God has to break us before we can surrender and understand who the boss is and get the value out of the relationship. We have 
to get broken. But we don't want to be broken. You don't understand, God. I'm resisting. We've got to learn to trust God and we've got to let him work us, work through the rough stuff to make us pure and sweet. We know, we know that suffering must follow wrath. If there's anger, there's going to be suffering. Somebody's going to hurt. Unless, unless, unless we can put suffering in front of wrath. Wrath will follow suffering unless we can get ahead of wrath by putting suffering out there in front. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We think of his agonized, passionate prayer. In Luke 22, 15, he says to his disciples, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew the suffering was coming. And he goes to the garden and he prays, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Remove this cup from me. I think Jesus must have been studying the book of Psalms before this night came. I'm certain that he had Psalm 75, 8 in mind when he said, Father, remove this cup from me, if it be your will. The cup in the hand of the Lord. He certainly must have had our text in mind when he prayed thus, and we know for sure that he had Psalm 22 in mind, Psalm chapter 22, which records most specifically the events that occurred to him at Calvary. The, the piercings, the casting of lots, the parting of his garments, all these things are recorded in Psalm 22, hundreds of years before they would ever happen to Jesus. In fact, I know Jesus had Psalm in mind and Psalm 22 in mind because he quoted Psalm 22 and 1 while he was on the cross when he said what David said in Psalm 22 and 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a direct quote. From scripture. It didn't originate with Jesus. He was quoting the Bible. And he was doing it in such a way. To point out. To his accusers. Who knew the scripture. The Jews among them knew the scripture. To point out to them. As a reference point. Do you remember this psalm. And what's in it. And look at what's happening to me. Everything that's in this psalm. Is happening to me. He was letting them know what they were doing. That suffering, that suffering was the vicarious judgment of God. It was Jesus accepting God's wrath against us for our place and for our sins. It was the cup of suffering, the wrath of the judgment of God. Amen. For us. Hallelujah. But it was more than that. It was more than that. Because it was also the cup preceding the wrath to come upon those who reject the goodness of God. Back in the day, in Bible days, when they made wine, there was always sedimentary impurities 
that settled out into the bottom of the cup. They were called dregs, and they were considered undesirable and ill-tasting. No one wants to drink the dregs. You drink the wine, you leave the dregs at the bottom of the cup, and you throw all that out at the end. No one wanted to drink them. But our scripture tells us, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. Suffering must come. Offenses must take place in our life. But we have this comfort of the Holy Ghost. Woe be unto them who cause them. If we're the child of God, trying to walk this walk of faith on this earth, trying to serve the Lord, and someone causes pain and suffering against us out of an evil, evil and malicious intent, and they will, the godly, we are told, must suffer persecution, but be of good cheer. For Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And so suffering will come to the people of God. We know those characters of the Bible who wrote the Bible, who gave us the New Testament. We know they suffered. We know all the disciples, say one, were martyrs for their testimony. We know Paul suffered greatly and many other Christians suffered. It wasn't an easy thing to be a Christian in the first century through the third century. It was not an easy Christian idea to be a Christian. And thereafter, the third century, it wasn't an easy thing to be a oneness Pentecostal, Holy Spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Jesus' name, baptized Christian either because the Catholic Church persecuted them to death down through the centuries. So, suffering must come and offenses must take place, but woe unto them that cause them. There's, there's suffering in that cup, and I must drink from it i got to drink it. It's going to be there in my life. It's going to be there in your life. Hallelujah. Take a look at the cup. It's the cup in the hand of the Lord. Well, Lord, I don't want to go through cancer. I don't know what it's like to go through cancer. Thank God for that. There's some here that do. And only those that have can feel empathy for those that are. The rest of us can only feel sympathy. Because we don't really know what it's like to have radiation treatment and have our hair fall out and have surgeries and operations and, and, and organs removed and tissues removed and, and radiation and suffering and pain and hurt. We don't know what it's like to have that. And no one wants to have that. No one wants to go through that. But if that is the cup in the hand of the Lord, God, give me grace to drink of it and suffer it and surrender to it and allow myself to be broken in the process of it because whatever lesson I must learn through suffering I want to learn so I don't have to go through this again oh somebody needs to praise the Lord right now I feel the Holy Ghost I feel the Holy Ghost in the house I feel the Holy Ghost in the house.
But what's at the bottom of that cup? What's in the bottom? That is reserved for those that cause the suffering, for those that cause the hurt and the pain. The Bible said, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. You had to drink your cup of suffering, and the cup was full, and the mixture was full, but you didn't have to drink it all. The worst of it, the worst, the most disagreeable part of it, that becomes the wine of wrath for those that cause suffering against God's people. Verse 9 tells us a different story. Verse 9, I would say, is the song of the sufferer. It is the ultimate triumph, a cry of victory. David said, but I will declare forever, I will sing the praises to the God of Jacob. Hallelujah. Yes, there's a cup of suffering in the hand of the Lord. There is a cup of suffering. The wine is red. The mixture is full. And, and you got to go through it. Amen. But there's a parting of the ways. The righteous must suffer these things because God is using them. Amen. To improve our lives and to make us better people and to improve the world. But the other part, the other side is the cup of wrath. Amen. That is reserved for those sinners, those wicked people that reject God and cause the pain and suffering that comes out on this world. There is something they're going to have to drink at the end of it all. But the child of God is going to be able to say, I will sing forever the praises of the God of Jacob. I will declare the goodness of the Lord. I, I drank the cup. I can drink this cup. But God will get us through. He'll get me through. And it's going to be all right. Let's stand together. I'm getting ready to close. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's a little poem that says, Until I learned to trust, I never learned to pray. I did not learn to fully trust till sorrows came my way. Until I felt my weakness, his strength I never knew. Nor dreamed till I was stricken that he could see me through. Who deepest drinks of sorrow, drinks deepest too of grace. He sends the storm so he himself can be our hiding place. His heart that seeks our highest good knows well when things annoy. He would not long for heaven if earth held only joy. We would not long for heaven if earth held joy. Only joy. Hallelujah. Oh. oh, God's in that cup. You're in there somewhere, Lord. Hallelujah. If I have to drink it, not my will, but thine be done. Allow me, Lord, to be processed, to be broken, to come out on the other side of it all. Hallelujah. Have you ever noticed the old-timey saints the ones who've lived a lifetime for God on this earth. In their old age, what do you have? The sweetest lemonade. The sweetest orange juice. The sweetest grape juice, apple juice, whatever, whatever it is. 
that their personality is. If they've lived for God all their life, in their old age, amen, they come out, they don't come out bitter and evil intended. They come out just sweet. And you love to be around those old saints because the walk of the Lord is sweet. It's sweet. How sweet it is. Hallelujah. Why? They have gone through, they have drunk the cup of suffering. And life has squeezed out the best and left the sweetest. And that's what God's intending to do with us, to bring us to that place. Amen. When the meanness is gone and the sweetness remains. Sweet me up, Lord. Don't use aspartame. I don't want anything synthetic or false. I don't want a, hip I don't want a hypocrite juice. I want the real thing. Hallelujah. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Somebody said that when Noah sailed the waters blue, he had his trouble, same as you. For 40 days he drove the ark before he found a place to park. <laughs> Hallelujah. God's bringing us someplace. We've got to go through some storms and some floods and some difficulties and some trials. But when we come out on the other side, we'll just see God, the hand of God, the miracles of God, the purpose and the passion and the power of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I think it'd be good if we just would, let's just gather around the altar for a few moments tonight. We've had such a great service. Time is still early. Amen. Take two or three moments of prayer. Amen. Before we leave, sweet surrender to the Lord. Lord, I hear you. Say, Lord, I hear you. Lord, I hear you. I'm hearing you, Lord. God, and, I, and, and whatever it is I'm dealing with, whatever it is I'm dealing with, God, help me, Lord Jesus, to have the grace to accept it and allow you to process me, Lord. Work me through this. Help me, Lord. Work me through this. In the name of Jesus. If I have to drink the cup, God, if I have to, uh, help me to do it. I will do it. Help me to do it. And help me to do it, God, without resisting and fighting and bitterness and struggle. Help me, Lord, to surrender to the sweetness of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the word tonight. Thank you, Lord God, for your spirit. Thank you for your comfort, your power, your anointing. You're a great and mighty God. Hallelujah. And we trust you, Lord God. I trust you. I trust you with my life. And I thank you tonight, God, for all that you have done for me. I thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus.